deja vu is a memory of a present moment, which is impossible, but that's what it is. It's uh, the feeling that you've seen or heard or done something before, even as you're doing it for the first time. Ladies and gentlemen, Ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com with another edition of BOA Audio Season 5. We have got an absolute barn burner of an episode for you this week, folks. Our guests are longtime friends of BOA Audio, Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman. I know we teased this a few weeks ago, but I finally managed to pin down the Para Explorers for discussion on their new book, The Deja Vu Enigma, A Journey Through the Anomalies of Mind, Memory, and Time. And much like last year's conversation with Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman, this episode is off the hook. We had so much fun talking, so many laughs, as you may have heard here in the introductory music to the program. It is quite an enjoyable ride with two of my good friends, Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman, and quite frankly, two of the top esoteric researchers out there. They do serious, hardcore research into the science behind the paranormal and uncover a lot of really compelling stuff, as you'll hear during this conversation. Once the interview kicks up, you'll hear that I'm already raving about the Deja Vu Enigma, and much like their previous book, 1111, The Time Prompt Phenomenon, this book starts out sort of looking at the phenomenon of Deja Vu, but then takes you further and further down the path into a whole bunch of tangential stuff that is truly fascinating. Some of the topics we're going to be exploring here are as follows. Of course, deja vu, as well as deja vu research. How does someone even research deja vu, and what kind of information have they uncovered via that research? And then we'll get into a bunch of strange elements surrounding the mind and the brain. Is the mind found in the brain, or is consciousness existing somewhere else? We'll hear about afflictions of the mind, like amnesia and fugue states. We'll ponder the nature of reality. We'll hear about voodoo, placebos, OBEs, NDEs, ghost hunting and perception, as well as a jam session towards the end about ghost hunting in general, and a whole bunch of other mind-bending topics, including the people of Walmart. You have Larry Flaxman to thank for that. He just busted out this people of Walmart riff and we kind of just followed it for a while and it was really quite a riot hearing Larry talk about the people of Walmart. So if you're a frequent Walmart shopper you may be raising your fist at Larry during this interview but I think you'll crack up a few times as well. As I emailed Larry the other night after I listened to the interview he really is one of the funniest dudes in all of Esoterica and of course Marie Jones can hold her own as well. This whole conversation is a fun-filled but also very informative edition of the program. 
You're going to learn an awful lot. You're going to have a few laughs along the way as well. Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman, together they are the Para Explorers, and they're back here on BOA Audio for a discussion on the Deja Vu Enigma. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman, allow me to provide you with some information on their backgrounds. Collectively, they are known as the Para Explorers, and you can find out more from them at paraexplorers.com. And they've written three books together so far, 1111, The Time Prompt Phenomena, The Resonance Key, and The Deja Vu Enigma, A Journey Through the Anomalies of Mind, Memory, and Time. And looking at them individually, Marie Jones has been involved with the paranormal in one way or another for most of her life, which led to her fascination with quantum physics and the writing of her first book, Science, How New Discoveries in Quantum Physics and New Science may explain the existence of paranormal phenomena. She's also a New Thought metaphysics minister and spiritual counselor, and holds a master's degree in metaphysical studies, as well as having studied Wicca, goddess traditions, mythology, and comparative religion. She worked as a field investigator for MUFON in Los Angeles and San Diego in the 1980s and 1990s. Her website is www.mariedjones.com. Check it out. Meanwhile, Larry Flaxman is the founder and president of the Arkansas Paranormal and Anomalous Studies Team, also known as RPAST. He has been actively involved in paranormal research and investigation for over 10 years and melds his technical, scientific, and investigative backgrounds together for no-nonsense, scientifically objective explanations regarding a variety of anomalous phenomena. He's appeared in numerous newspaper, magazine, radio, and television interviews, and has authored several published articles regarding science and the paranormal. He also serves as technical advisor to several paranormal investigation groups throughout the country. His website is www.rpast.org, A-R-P-A-S-T dot org. And once again, collectively, their website is www.paraexplorers.com, P-A-R-A-explorers.com. Check it out. With all that said, let's get down to business, my friends, and rock and roll. This interview was recorded on July 13th, 2010. Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman talking about the Deja Vu Enigma and taking us on a journey through the anomalies of the mind, memory, and time on BOA Audio Season 5. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Banal of America Audio. This one's been a long time coming, but I'm very excited to finally get a chance to sit down and talk to our two guests here this week. The first is someone who's been on the show just oodles of times. I think she's been on every year since Season 2. It's sort of a tradition at this point. And that is, of course, Marie D. Jones, powerhouse investigator of the esoteric very psyched to have her back here. As long as there's a BOA audio, every season we're going to have Marie D. Jones back on the show. That's how much I respect her work. And, of course, the Dwayne Wade to her LeBron is, of course, <laughs> is of course Larry Flaxman, the Flaxman, as I call him, the wild man of Arkansas. He is the head of our past, the uh, Arkansas Paranormal and Anomalous Studies team. Together they are, of course, the Para Explorers. They've co-written a ton of books. Actually, I think they've had at least two books come out since the last time I talked to them, if not one. I know for sure the resonance key. And uh, last year we had them on to talk about 11.11, the time prompt phenomenon. And this year we're here to talk about the Deja Vu Enigma. 
which is a journey through the anomalies of mind, memory, and time. So welcome back to the show, Marie. Welcome back, Larry. Hey, Tim. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for having us. I really love the book. I really enjoyed it quite a bit. And it's sort of like the 11.11 book because when you first see the title, you're like, how did they write a whole book on deja vu? But then the more you get into it, the, the deja vu is sort of lurking there throughout throughout the book, but it, but it gets into a whole bunch of other stuff involving like the mind and tricks of the mind and stuff like that. So I really mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it because it was like the deja vu stuff was crazy because like who even thinks to look into that? And then it's like, well, wait a minute, now we're going down all these other avenues that are equally bizarre but not even related to deja vu. So much like the eleven eleven book. You start out one direction, you just keep going deeper and deeper, like into the forest of strangeness. So I really enjoyed it. <laughs> the forest of strangeness. I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can use that on <laughs> for your press materials. So how did oh, yeah. <laughs> take a journey into the forest of strangeness, forest says Tim Badal. So how did... <laughs> Now, I know last time, you know, I asked you how did the 11.11 book came up, and you, you kind of blamed your publisher. So is this the same? <laughs> oh, my God. You know well, what? Well, Go ahead, Larry. You tell him. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, Tim, now that you ask, yes, this was the same situation. <laughs> we had uh, we actually gave them an idea for something else, and, and much like what had happened with 11.11, they said, you know, guys, that's a great idea, but why don't you write something about deja vu? <laughs> So, so, yeah, it's kind of the exact same thing. They they kind of picked it for us. Well, it's working out, dude. You should thank these people because they, they must. Yeah, I mean, obviously they know their shit. Uh, can I say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can say whatever you okay. want. Yeah, I mean, obviously oh, cool. they know their shit because the first book, you know, it went bestseller. They knew exactly what, what was the deal with that. I mean, neither one of us really thought that there would be anything to it. We thought, you know, eleven eleven, what the hell? And then the same thing with Deja Vu. And, and Marie told me a couple of weeks ago that the book just came out. Uh, I mean, it just came out. And as a matter of fact, I spoke at a conference uh three weeks ago, I think it was, in Atlanta. And that was the first time that I'd even seen a copy of it was at that conference. And... um Marie had told me that, uh, it, that the, they've already sold the rights to, was it 11 languages? Wow. I forgot how many. Yeah, they so they're, they're, every language. They're, they're really expecting this one, I, I imagine, to probably be pretty big as well, which, I mean, yeah. it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, it's a topic that pretty much everyone has had some type of uh, exposure to at some point in their life. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I guess the, you know, for people that don't, like, have never heard of Deja Vu, I don't know who these people are, but... <laughs> They're living under a rock. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I we guess, don't associate with those kind of people. I know. I don't even know why they're listening to this show, but maybe they're maybe they're trying to find out more about deja vu. So we maybe we shouldn't insult them. So yeah, <laughs> so. that's true. We shouldn't insult our, our our readers and listeners, should we? <laughs> <laughs> and why not? So I guess let's start out sort of with you know what is deja vu? How did this thing even? See, the weird part is is like you wonder like how obviously you guys know because you did the research, but like you wonder how even. How does someone even like put a name to this thing? How does even someone it's like like people are sitting around in olden times and they're like, you know, I just had this weird <laughs> feeling, you know, like who, who even up until it had a name? How do you even talk about it? It's one of those weird sort of things. So I guess like talk well, a little bit about this whole history of of this phenomenon. I guess you would call that's it. That's probably exactly what happened. Is yeah. you know, back in the 1800s, people were having these experiences, but nobody had named them or categorized them, and it was Emile Barak who came up with the term first, and it's it's a French term that means already seen. And obviously, déjà vu is a memory of a present moment, which is impossible, but that's what it is. It's uh, the feeling that you've seen or 
heard or done something before, even as you're doing it for the first time. So it's it's kind of like a weird little memory loop. But yeah, the research into this began back in the 1800s, and it's been intensified ever since. It's amazing how many universities and laboratories all over the world are, are looking into deja vu. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, too. Like, how does one even go about, like, not you guys, because you're sort of studying the studies, but how does one even go about, like, studying this thing in the first place? Because it seems rather spontaneous and hard to sort of, like, get, you know, it's hard to, like, get a bunch of subjects together and study it because it seems like something well, that just sort of happens. What they do, Tim, is they get about 100 people, they sit them in a room, and they just wait for them to have these Oh, my God. Six months. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. Uh, no, you can, you can uh, trigger deja vu by stimulating particular parts of the brain, and um, some of that's been done purposely. Some of it's been done by accident. In other words, they were might have been working on epilepsy or some other uh, neurophysiological disorder and happened to trigger the right part of the brain and cause the person to have a deja vu event. So really that's where the study has been focusing. What parts of the brain are involved? Can it be triggered? Uh, but mainly why? You know, what is it? Why is it happening? Is it just a, a, a silly little brain slip up or is there something deeper to the meaning that's the weird part and then there's all these other forms of deja vu like this deja vecu and deja senti and there's like tons of them you list like a whole bunch in the book well you know they they, somebody had to categorize each different type of sensation uh, visual auditory that's the french for you you name it but it really is all the same thing it's you're experiencing something that you believe you've experienced before, but you know it's the first time you ever have. Right, right. It's like a memory. Sometimes it's of a place. Like, yeah, the the, the different ends of the deja part are, you know, mm-hmm. if it's right. a memory of a place, it's a memory of something you ate. It's like, all right, you know. Yeah, I ate this before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, since you said these these studies have been intensifying, feel free to jump in at any time, Larry, because I don't know. Yeah, come on, Larry. What. Yeah, no, I'm 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 listening. I'm listening intently. Okay. <laughs> He's coloring pictures. All right. But you say, like, the, the research has been intensifying. Have we actually been able to figure out anything about this since the first French dude called it deja vu? Like, what do we even know at this point? Now, at one point in the book, you say that someone's come to the conclusion that deja vu doesn't get experienced until around the age eight or nine and then onwards. Yeah. So, I, mean, and, I don't buy that. I really okay. don't buy that. I don't think kids can verbalize their experiences. Um, I think they have experiences, and they just don't know how to explain to an adult. I mean, how would a, how would a six-year-old child tell you that they were having deja vu? Yeah, that's a whole other kettle um, of fish, kids and stuff. Yeah, and but apparently it does decline with age, so it obviously is linked to the parts of the brain that are involved with memory. You know, that to me is just the, the phenomenon of that itself is interesting, and in that, you know, people also believe that paranormal abilities or, or psychic abilities also decline with age as well. Hmm. That's so. Weird, yeah. Kids all have their little secret friends and stuff, and I mean, you know, right. I wonder if there's any correlation between those. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the brain is involved in the perception, and when the brain starts to fail, the ability to perceive it or receive it or transmit it, whatever, starts to fail as well. Interesting. I never heard that actually. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's strange. That would stink if you had like paranormal abilities and stuff, and then you get like you're getting older, and you're like, I'm losing yeah. it. Yeah, I'm losing <laughs> it. Uh, along with everything no, else. 
bowel functions. And as you get older, you just, as you get older, you just charge for it and then gain those act- those uh, abilities back. Oh, yeah. Ah, yeah. <laughs> is that how you do it? <laughs> so, so actually, now, so have we come to any? So we got to go on this tangent here about the age part, but have we come I to any it. any sort of conclusions about this phenomenon, or is it still pretty much just it's still a giant mystery? Hmm. See how we wait. We we give each other the respect. Who's going to talk? Um, I'll start, and then Larry can finish. It seems okay. like, and Larry, you back me up on this, um, or whatever. All of the studies that we looked at were able to pinpoint the parts of the brain involved and the parts of the brain that you could trigger deja vu, which are really closely linked to um, epilepsy, to grand mal seizures, by the way. Oh, wow. But I don't think any of them could really explain, again, why deja vu happens in a normal setting. You know, if I'm sitting here at my computer and I have deja vu, well, nobody's here to stimulate my brain with, you know, electrodes and things. Something is happening organically and naturally. Nor could they explain why it happens. What does it mean? Does it mean anything at all? You know, why do people also have past life visions or precognitive visions sometimes during a deja vu experience? You know, and I, I totally agree with Maria. And you know, also, it's such a it's such a personal experience, and it is something that is it's such a random occurrence too. I mean, you you can't really uh, you can't study something if you can't proactively predict when it's going to occur. Really, that you know, I, I think yes, there's a lot of scientific. Uh, let me say there there is a lot of possible scientific explanations for it, but in my mind, I'm still not totally convinced that what science has provided as possible explanatory agents for it really completely 100% uh, knock it out. Um, I think there's there's a lot of things that, that we still don't know. There's a, a lot of triggers. There's a lot of um, just things that are going on in the brain that we don't understand at the same time that people are having these experiences. And I'm not sh- I'm not completely, you know, I, I, I kind of toe that, that fine line between science and the metaphysical part of things, too, mm-hmm. and I, I'm not totally convinced that part of the experiential aspect of it may not be something actual spiritual or, or something metaphysical. You know, one of, the, one of the concepts or one of the theories that's floated out there is that perhaps you actually are experiencing something or you are experiencing a recollection of a past event. If that's the case, I mean, that opens up a whole different can of worms. I mean, past lives, reincarnation, multiple parallel realities and universes. I mean, that, that's a whole different ball of wax when you start talking mm-hmm. about those kind of possibilities. So, you know, to me, it, it's, yes, there's some answers that are out there, but they're not completely fulfilling. There, there's still enough questions in my mind, uh, and there probably always will. I can't imagine this ever being one of those definitively answered type questions. Um, I just can't see it. Kind of, you know, it, it's one of those paranormal things, and being a paranormal thing that defies traditional scientific explanation, and it may always be that way. Yeah, it's weird. Aside from this dude, I keep calling him this dude, but aside from this guy <laughs> who coined the term deja vu, how far back do you think this has been going on, like since the oh, dawn I'm, of man? Oh, I'm sure this has been something. Oh, oh, hell yeah. I'm sure this is something that people have been experiencing for probably millennia. I mean, yeah, this I is think not as long something as that's human brand new. Sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it seems I, to be an, an, an innate part of the human spirit. I mean, it, everyone has these experiences at some right. point. I'm figuring if you looked at ancient texts and, you know, religious texts and things like that, you would read about experiences 
of deja vu, but they would not be calling them deja vu. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I figured, yeah. Marie was exactly right. I, I agree. Generally, when this sort of thing happens to me, it only lasts for like 10 or 15 seconds. I remember my mm -hmm. very first interview mm -hmm. with Marie way back like four years ago. She suggested that when someone gets deja vu, they sort of just roll with it to sort of like extend the experience, I guess you could say. But what what's the general length of this thing? And have you heard of instances that are like bizarre in length as far as deja oh, yeah. vu goes? Yeah, I mean, I think the general length is probably between you know, two, three seconds and maybe, I don't know, maybe 20 seconds. It really doesn't last very long, although when you're in it, it seems like time slows to a crawl. Yeah. Um, but, you know, once you come out of it, you realize, wow, that was a real quick experience. But, yeah, there are people who have memory anomalies or certain parts of the brain that might have been damaged that have extended deja vu. There's one guy that was studied, I can't quite find his, find his name, but he had deja vu for days. Um, My God. Trying to find his name. 50-year-old man. He had a history of obesity. They did some stimulation on him and uh, to his uh, hypothalamus. And yeah, he was able to have extended deja vu. I've gotten emails, and I'm sure Larry has too, and I think we even got some for the book of people that have had them for an hour, two hours. Wow. Yeah. But neither of you guys have had anything crazy like that, right? I have them all the time. I haven't had them as much since I wrote the book, which is kind of weird. Weird. But, um, yeah, I kind of found that if I don't think about the fact that I'm having it, I can make it last a little bit longer. But I think the second you become consciously aware that you're having it, you, you cut it off. Maybe there's something to that. I wonder yeah, if... Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. I think there I, may be. I, you're going into an altered state of awareness. Once you become aware of that, it's almost as if you close the door. And, and the event ends. Yeah, like a reverse lucid dream. Yeah, there you go. That's weird. Now, speaking of weird, you listed some <laughs> weird afflictions in the book. I You didn't really get into them too much, but I, I found them bizarre and fascinating, and uh, I was going to ask to see if you knew more about them. Capris syndrome and Fregoli delusion. Oh, my God. Do these ring a bell? Yeah, well, there was a whole list. I think we got those from Art Funkhauser, who is a uh, deja vu expert, does a lot of research into both the scientific and a little bit more metaphysical aspects. And, yeah, he was able to link them to a lot of different types of pathological disorders. And let me see if I can find some of them. But, yeah, um, I got them amnesia here. is me... closely linked. Promnesia, amnesia. Fugue, all of these things are really closely linked. Yeah, let me read these two here because I thought they were just yeah, so ahead, weird. Cool. Capris syndrome. The afflicted person believes that familiar people have all been replaced by imposters. And then there for goalie delusion, afflicted, <laughs> afflicted person believes many or all people he or she meets are really one person in disguises. That explains my problems. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what are these? These are like mental conditions that people come oh, down yeah. with? Yeah, I mean, sure. it's like paranoia, um, you know, delusion, confabulation. It's even like amnesia. I think when certain parts of the brain are not working properly, we we our thought process is changed. It's weird. I don't know. Larry, can you put that in better words? No, I think that's exactly right. I mean, the brain is still such, it, it's such a mysterious thing. You know, as much as we know with technology and computers and, and all of the, the scientific abilities that we have, the brain still maintains or it still remains one of the most mysterious things. And as, as Marie and I have discussed many times, that we both truly believe that the next 
I guess, generation, if you'll call it, of paranormal explanation, exploration really will be in, in the inner space. It'll, it'll really be the exploration of, of inside of us, our brains. So, you know, a lot of those phenomena, a lot of the, the weird things that, that people experience inside their head, I mean, it's, it's probably just the tip of the iceberg. There's probably a lot more things that are out there. And, you know, of course, I guess it would depend on variable chemical compositions, uh, chemical levels in the, in the body, in the brain, things like that. I mean, there are so many possibilities, and the brain is such a, a vast, enormous, supercomputing giant that, you know, you never know. Yeah. You know, that made me think of something, what Larry just said. We all have brains. Well, some of us Most do, everyone. <laughs> we all have a brain, but we don't all have the, the same amount of brain chemicals. I mean, obviously we hear about people with, you know, serotonin levels that are lower right. and they have depression, blah, blah, blah. So it's possible that some people experience paranormal phenomena and things like deja vu more than others because they have a little bit more of one brain chemical and maybe a little bit yeah. less of another. Actually, I've... Marie, I've thought that before about for paranormal uh, as one possible explanation for paranormal stuff. Now, I'm not mm-hmm. saying these are lesser intelligent folks by any means, but oh, certainly wow. brain size is a variable thing. The actual physicality of brain size is variable among different people. It average, there's an average weight. I believe it's around uh, three and a half to four pounds. Uh, there's an average weight of the human brain, but the actual mass and everything, it can vary. Right. So, you know, almost like, you know, how there are some there are some lightweights like me that drink one beer and get absolutely smashed, and then there are some folks that can drink, you know, 100 beers and, and they're still completely cohesive. You That's know, perhaps... <laughs> yeah, it probably is. You know, perhaps, you know, the... the Chemical de- or the chemical makeup, the density of the brain, the size of the brain, all those things. Maybe that all plays a, a part in all the, the chemical mixing and, and the mm-hmm. the resulting stuff that happens from that. And we talked briefly, Larry, a while ago, and I've had this conversation a lot with a lot of women because we're trying to see if there's something to this about hormones and how a lot of women report more intensified paranormal experiences during hormone. Uh, times of hormonal shifts like menopause or, um, you know, the first menstruation or adolescence, whatever, pregnancy. Um, And I've talked to a lot of women, and it's weird because there seems to be a little bit of a consensus that that is true. So what drives all of that? Hormones. Well, hormones are brain chemicals. Um, Yeah. yeah, We may be the best paranormal investigative tool there is, and we're not even looking at our own bodies. That's true, yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I think the hormone angle is probably a, a decent one that probably needs to be followed up on. You know how to make a hormone? Oh, God. I don't know. Is this don't a dirty joke? Her. You just don't, don't pay her. Oh, God. <laughs> Larry. God bless you. Know, Larry, come on now, Tim. I know you've got whores out there, too, so don't, don't, <laughs> don't deny it. <laughs> oh, yeah, my God. Yeah, but I God. think they're probably a lot better looking. No, I shouldn't say that. Oh, a lot no, of better no. looking than the ones in the... Arkansas? Never mind. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen that, that website, Women of Walmart, or peoplewalmart.com? Yes. Oh, no, no. Oh, my God. Tim, have you seen that? No. Dude, you have got to check it out. <sighs> if you want the, the biggest freaking laugh that you'll ever have, it's I, I think it's peoplewalmart.com. You've got yeah. to check this website out. I think three-quarters of these pictures were probably taken in Arkansas, but you have <laughs> got, to, got to, got to check this out. It is a must-see website. 
Oh my! All right, it is folks, so there's true. Your, I mean, there's your tip. my son and I drove by there today, and and he was like, "Mommy, please, please don't drive into the twilight zone. Please." <laughs> he made me go around the parking lot. He's is that like, what he called it? Through the Walmart, huh? Is that what he called it? Really? The twilight zone. It is okay. This is really creepy, guys. We have this big Walmart right next to it is a Kohl's, which is you know a couple of steps up, yeah, and yeah. there's a guitar center, which totally cool. <laughs> If you go from the part of the parking lot where the guitar center is or Kohl's or whatever, and, and then as soon as you literally cross over that aisle that begins the Walmart part, it's like you're in a whole different world. There's like people with three legs and one tooth and, you know, <laughs> uh, it just, it is so bizarre. And <laughs> I mean, I've never shopped in a Walmart and I don't plan to, but Oh, you I don't need know. to. Just, just for the comic relief value, you got to do it. I, I mean, did a long, long time ago, I did a, my, my aunt used to do demonstrations for like cosmetics and stuff and she got sick. So she asked me to do it and it was really good money. It was like a few hundred bucks for just a few hours. I'm like, oh, hell yeah. And it was at a Walmart. It was my, this was years ago. It was my first experience there. And I went home. I was traumatized. <laughs> was, oh my God. It was so dirty. And this is San Diego. I mean, I know. I was going to say. It's high was... quality. Tim, you've been here. You know what yeah, it's like Yeah, this is where all the beautiful people are. That's right. And the clean people. But, yeah, it's, <laughs> I like to make fun of Walmart. But, you know, Larry's um, home state, is that's the headquarters, isn't it, of yeah, Walmart? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah Bentonville is, is the home state. Yeah, I, I think because of Walmart and the shoppers of Walmart, they've been trying to enact new legislation here in Arkansas that anyone over 350 pounds can't wear spandex <laughs> in public. Larry, you know so, they're not going to ever carry our books now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I can forget about the Walmart sponsorship now. Yeah, really. Oh, well. <laughs> now, uh, you, you guys do spend quite a bit in the book talking about memory and the phenomena of memory. Obviously, that ties in with the whole deja vu thing. Yeah. What I found interesting, yeah. and you really delve into the whole amnesia phenomenon or, or ailment, I guess you could say. Uh, what I thought was interesting is that at one point you mentioned that uh, am I guess from studying them, and amnesiacs, um, not only can they not remember their past, but they, they, they're they unable to envision their future. Right. Because right. they have no, like, past reference. references. Yeah. I thought no that was really point. strange that some might never I have even to tell consider. you this. I never told Larry this, but the reason I, I'm just fascinated with amnesia because when I was younger, I watched soap operas all the time, and every <laughs> single soap opera, at least 25 different characters get amnesia. But they always come out of it, you know, and everything is really fine. But I've always been fascinated with the subject. I have never known anyone who had amnesia. I was just going to ask that because I was like, how yeah. prevalent is amnesia? Because like, like you Apparently, said, you watch TV and it's like every, you know, every third show someone's come down with amnesia. Well, you but know it, what? it never happens I mean, to everyone I know. It, it does happen a lot. And uh, apparently, well, so do fugues. And apparently it's linked to trauma. Uh, and, uh, and there's been a lot more reports of amnesia since the economy kind of went in the toilet. People that have lost their jobs, lost their homes, whatever, have been traumatized. And that, for some reason, seems to trigger amnesia and fugue states. So, Well, talk, talk about the fugue states, because this thing was just bizarre. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, how you does this what? even happen? A fugue is a planned out amnesia. I mean, I think that's the only way you can really describe it. If you get amnesia, it's usually from a head injury. You don't expect that you're going to get it. Apparently with a fugue, it's something that you're almost aware that you're going to be going through. Um, a lot of people will go through a fugue state, and when they come out of it, they are aware that they're changing their identity. They 
you know, they forget that they have kids and wives. They're starting completely over. But it's different from amnesia in that it's almost a thought-out process. It's the only way I can explain it. The way I interpret it is like they just like snap, like something in them snaps, and then they like just pick up and leave. And they right, and they do. They lose a block of time. They lose a block of memory, but they're not losing all of their past memory. Whereas in amnesia, you're white. You literally are wiping the slate clean. So then they go off and they start a new life, but they still remember their old life. They just don't care anymore. Is that? I think they suppress it. I think it's just you know totally suppressing those memories to the point where they probably no longer exist exist to them. They're not aware of those memories anymore, but they're still there. Whereas in amnesia. It's as if the memories are just wiped clean. Larry, what but do you think of all this? Yeah, <laughs> Even if you um, state right now. <laughs> I've actually never had I've never had that kind of personal experience. I've never really had that fugue state type thing. I've had some time loss experience, mm-hmm. but I've, I've never really had that fugue state thing. Have you had that, Tim? Have you actually experienced that? No, but the more I read about it, I kind of like... You know, Sounds good, huh? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> I would like to pick up and... <laughs> I know. I'm thinking, God, that sounds great. Could I pull that off? <laughs> yeah, just like start all yeah. over again and forget about it. <laughs> well, like with missing time, Larry and I both had missing time experiences, but you retain memory of everything before that, everything after that works fine. It's just the, the time period of the missing time event itself that you can't remember. So that's different from a fugue. Now, even though we're saying here that these fugue folks... Uh, yeah, the, the fugue folk, when they go through this and you think they're suppressing their memories and everything, when they come out of the fugue, you know, do they feel bad afterwards or are they like, I don't know what happened? You know, what's their sort of reaction? Because you said oh my think God. it was kind of planned, but is it Yeah, there was, there was one case I was reading about a woman who had, you know, a family and just, yeah, I mean, it's like they've lost the emotional connection with the memories of the past. And, you know, I'm not saying that these people are doing it to be mean or because there's something wrong with them. It's it's actually a physical thing. Uh, but it does seem to be a thought-out, well, not thought-out, but something that is related to something that's going on in their life at the time where they want to escape, they want to get away, a divorce, yeah. you know, the failure of business, um, the death of a loved one, whatever. Yeah, like some trauma. Trauma-based, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they just pick up. And start all over. Yeah, Yeah. on the road again. (laughs) Wow, it's so weird. How often does that happen, you think? I don't know. I I suspect most people don't report things like that because your family would have you committed. Yeah. Yeah. See, folks, I'm telling you, this starts Mm -hmm. in deja vu. You just get deeper into the forest of strangeness here. We're heading even further now into it. So mine's the uh, Then you're going to be lost in the forest. Yeah, exactly. No protection. <laughs> That's where Larry. Right down the rabbit hole. Here comes Larry. You also say in the book, uh, this thing kind of like just blew blew my mind. No pun intended. You say there's some debate as to whether the mind exists at all, and you sort of get into this whole mind versus the brain and the body. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I'm reading this, and I'm, I'm I feel like I'm kind of like following it. And then I'm like, okay, so so they kind of mean like the consciousness versus the the brain and the body. And then, like, you know, three or four paragraphs later, it's like. Then when you add consciousness into the mix, and it was like, what is this? And I'm completely confused. So It's proof that we don't understand a thing about ourselves. Yet here we are trying to understand everything outside of us. I don't get it. So what is this dichotomy here? We've got the mind. We we can establish the brain and the body. That's the physical stuff. Let's say brain versus mind. And mind will include consciousness, and brain will include physical body. 
it's been going on for, for God, thousands of years, and it probably will because yeah. how can you possibly prove it while we're still alive? I mean, that's the argument is if the mind is a part of the brain, if it's an aspect of the brain, when the brain dies, the mind dies. There's nothing that continues on afterwards. The other side of the fence says, no, the mind is separate. Mind and consciousness is separate from the brain. It operates through the brain. The brain is a conduit. The brain dies. The mind and consciousness can keep going. But it's kind of hard to prove either one because, yeah. you know, the, the answer lies out there in the paranormal realm. Yeah. I think that's what we're all trying to it's one of those things where the mechanics of it really are, are at this point still so unknown. That I, I think you really just can't define something like that until you better understand the mechanics. I mean, there, right. there are so many there are so many different belief systems that speak one way, and then there's other belief systems that speak another. You know, there's really there's no evidence of anything. I mean, there's all these ideas and all these religious dogmas and thoughts and, and concepts, but really nobody really has a freaking clue. Yeah. That we all need to just shoot ourselves and <laughs> be done with it. Oh, no, don't say that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, you know, it, it's directly linked to the quest for meaning, purpose. Um, yep. You know, are, is there immortality? What happens when we die? It's all linked to all of those questions. Because if the mind is proven to be separate from the brain, then we know there is the, the potentiality for the mind to keep going because it's not a physical thing that dies. Yeah, and then you get into the question of then if it's not in the brain, like, where is it? Exactly. <laughs> right. Not not only where is it, what is it? Yeah. Exactly. Right. Right. You like know, something I mean, in the ether. For, for things to be able to, you know, go go to the talk about the whole paranormal investigation aspect part of things. You know, the, the ghost hunters. Right. There has to be some sort of a, a physical presence for it to be able to to exist in our world you know if we're, we're out there getting evps we're getting pictures we're getting videos all these things you know that to me kind of speaks one direction there's all this anecdotal evidence that there is something after corporeal death but you know really what do you have i mean what is it what are we actually studying is it persons is it free will is it consciousness is it their mind i mean what actually is it when you die does something separate from you and then it just goes away it disappears it just it, it, it's a very you know as you said before tim it, it's a complete dichotomy i mean the two things really are at odds i mean and the way i look at things too is even religion to a certain pers uh, from a certain perspective is at odds with reality probably a, a lot at odds with reality mm -hmm. so yeah i mean who knows yeah well that brings in the whole thing about reality that you guys delve into in the book too which is like oh, we're going deeper i know i know well the, the the weird thing that i always think of and this sort of like a weird uh mind game that i thought of or some some sort of bizarre theory just that like what if everything before you were born never really actually happened like mm -hmm. you, you start... a solid construct of your mind exactly mm -hmm. right that's a very popular philosophical theory that you yeah. guys do not exist except that in my mind i needed to create you for a reason nothing exists and it can be the same for each of you. Mm -hmm. But, you know, reality is nothing more than the construct of the individual mind. Or maybe we're all thoughts in the mind of God. I mean, you know, there's a million theories. The problem is if we don't understand what reality is, how can we ever understand the paranormal, other reality? Exactly. And we don't even know what our own is. All right. What the hell are you eating over there, Larry? I'm not eating anything. 
What's that cranking? Well, I thought you were Tim. I thought you were no, like No, that wasn't me. I thought that was you, Tim. No, that wasn't me. Like, it's not me. I thought me. you were digging into your, to your bag of Lay's potato chips or something. No. Oh, yeah. Weird, dude. I thought we were boring you. No, that's not me. No. Oh, no, Boston baked beans. <laughs> Someone must be listening to the call, and they're so entertained now. They're eating some chips. They're gym. tapping the phones again. Huh, brother. Or is it is it our consciousness or our brain outside of our body doing it? Yeah, I think one of you is, has the need to create this sound in your reality. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. You know what? I had I had beans for dinner. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe I've just No, it didn't sound like that. Oh, no, Larry. Oh. Now, this this part in the book I thought was really cool. And oh, before I actually say that, i got to give props to any book that throws in an Abe Vigoda reference is, is all right by <gasps> that me. That was so. me. That was me. Thank you. Yes, I didn't that. know who he was. Larry. No, dude, I'm young. I don't, I don't know who that, that old fart was. Oh, you're not oh. that much younger than me. There's no way. You've you got to be older why. than me, Larry, and I know who Ava Goda is. So. I, know, I don't know why I was thinking of him that day. Jeez. Anyway. You know, I know why. Dude, you've got to be older than me. How old are you, Larry? I'm 39. I'm 31. No, you're Ooh. not. Yeah. You are not. Don't lie. <laughs> dude, I'm 31. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Damn. <laughs> anyway. Well, if you don't know who Abe Vigoda is, you're just not no cool and hip. <laughs> yeah, it's, Abe Vigoda's like the new Betty White, dude. You gotta know who, you gotta know who Abe Vigoda is. Is he still dude. alive, though? Yeah, he was in, Betty White. He's in that commercial with Betty White from the Super Bowl. Oh, that's Betty funny. White. Okay. You don't, oh my God, Larry. Oh, wait, wait, is, that the, is that the beef woman? Is that the, who's the beef? No. no, who's the beef? Don't you remember oh, the Golden oh, Girl? No, 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 no. Okay, no, I she didn't know who's the beef. Saturday Night yeah, Live a few weeks yeah, yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. She's the old, like, white-haired woman. She, yeah, she's I know. Really funny. Yeah. yeah. Jesus, Larry, they have television in Arkansas, oh. right? Oh, I, dude, yeah. I don't watch TV that much. Okay, I, I just had to Wikipedia him, and I'm looking at his picture. <laughs> How the hell did you know who that was, Tim? Really, <laughs> you're not that much younger than me. Did you watch Barney Miller? Or did you pop watch culture, Fish? Larry. If you know anything about pop culture, you know about Barney Miller. It was a classic TV show. It was one of the first cop shows. <laughs> I was I was six years old when that show ended. <laughs> so, so, yeah, but it went into for like twenty years. Do well, I? I'm, okay. Next time I make a cultural reference in a book, I'll make sure it's somebody. <laughs> Miley Cyrus or something. Yeah, somebody from Twilight or something like that. <laughs> Twilight, yeah. Tupac or, you know, someone from my generation. Rob Pattinson, there you go. All right. Well, this one, this this whole this whole thing, uh, this, this just made me really uh, laugh because it's so Larry. And this is the whole thing about our past and you guys going on these ghost investigations and you guys doing this sort of experiment where you sort of seed false information to the yeah. ghost hunters to... You know, to see what kind of influence it has on the investigation. So talk about that, because, I mean, it, I guess if it wasn't the dude in charge of the organization doing it, it would be pretty underhanded. But then when you look at well, it after the fact, it's like, that was kind of yeah, genius. It, it, is, it is for a completely scientific um, reason, and I, I generally do disclose the fact after the investigation of, of you know, what, what I actually did. My idea basically was, and, you know, there's not any kind of rocket science involved in this, was that one's perceptions... Uh, basically shape one's reality and if you if you mold someone's perceptions around a predefined set of variables that the self-fulfilling prophecy basically comes true and so my idea was we go on these investigations and actually we go to a location for instance that has absolutely no reports of anything paranormal there's not been a single death there's not been any type of historical 
uh, anything that's happened there. Just a, just a place that just an everyday average place like McDonald's, for instance. Yeah. We go to the location and I implant I plant the seed basically that there was a horrific murder that occurred here 20 years ago and the girl was brutally slaughtered in her bedroom. And, you know, you just come up with these, these yeah. graphic details about things, very specific uh, things. It was a blonde-haired girl. She was 13 years old. She was slaughtered in her bedroom while she slept. You know, you come up with these, these, these details. And my idea was I wanted to see how much of that would influence my investigators throughout the night as far as what type of experiential uh, things would occur to them. And... Without exception, nine times out of ten, once you plant the seed of something, there is going to be that you've almost set up this expectation, basically. And nine times out of ten, someone or usually someones are going to experience some some something regarding what I said. They're going to have some type of experience, or they're they're going to believe that they had some kind of experience uh, revolving around what I said. For instance, someone will see a visual apparition, and it matches the uh, it matches the dynamics of, of the description that I had of the little girl. Well, I know that that was like completely fictitious and completely made up for experimental purposes, but the person didn't know it, so. Did the person really have that experience where they think that they saw that? Did I create that in their mind? Or did the person, were they wanting to have that experience so much that they perceived that and, and kind of created that reality for themselves? So I think it's it, it's an interesting thought experiment. It's one that we've uh, repeated a number of times, and every time that we've done it, I've been shockingly surprised to find that uh, the things that I said basically bore true to the experiences. Yeah, that, like, throws a whole monkey wrench into the whole ghost hunting It completely does. Mm-hmm. phenomenon. It completely now, do, does. I presume you didn't get, like, anything like an EVP or anything crazy no. like that, no. right? Yeah. No, nothing like that at all. It, it's all been personal experiential data. That's all. No, nope. still, but, it's still pretty fucking weird. It is, yeah, but, okay. People, deny, people deny it, too. It's like they don't want to believe that that might have something to do with it. They don't right. want to believe that. So, they want so, to think that a ghost is a physical outside object. Nothing right, exactly. Else. So here's my contention with psychics. There's a, there's a lot of groups that utilize psychics on investigations where they'll have the, the psychic basically go in beforehand, get the lay of the land, if you will, and kind of feel out the place and see where they have feelings and spots in the house and all that stuff. Then they come back, they tell the rest of the team the experiences that they had in that team, and then bang, they basically just recreated Larry's experience or Larry's experiment. They've seeded the group or they basically, they've set this expectation, the psychic has set this expectation, and she's provided foreknowledge to these folks that people go in and then naturally they're going to have some kind of experience that revolves around Mm -hmm. what the psychic told them. So that's one of the reasons why we don't use psychics on investigations because it's, it's such a it's such a subjective thing and it's there's too much of a possibility for tainting of, of data and evidence that you know people that are doing this kind of thing need to go in with a completely open mind without any type of preconceived notions of, of anything that, that's occurred in that location. So you're absolutely right. You know what the hell is going on? Is it something? Is it all in our head? Is there really something? Is there a physicality to what's occurring? Or is it completely psychological? And, you know, from from my years of doing this, you know, I, I've kind of shifted direction on, on quite a few things. 
You know, we, we've got an absolute assload of equipment that we use. We're, we're probably the most well-funded group in the country. We've got almost a quarter of a million dollars worth of equipment, and all of our fancy equipment hasn't gotten us anything more than, than anybody else because, because we've all been looking in the wrong place. I truly believe, and I know, Marie, we've had these discussions before, too, We've all been looking outside, and this, this could go to talk about deja vu, this could talk about 11-11 experiences, this could talk about ghosts, this really could be an explanation for a lot of creepy weird shit that we don't have explanations for. We've looked everywhere but the common denominator, the one place, the one thing that's present in every single encounter, us. There has been a complete and utter lack of investigation of us into what is going on mechanics within us. How could you even study that, though, you think? You need some serious, like, brain, you know, brain doctors. Oh, I think, it, I think it'd be fairly easy to study um, using EEG mapping, EKD. You can do – there's a lot of things that you could do as far as brainwave uh, pattern and brainwave matching. But the problem comes in with what we talked about before. How do you associate basically a brain state or a brainwave uh pattern to an actual behavior is it is it because the person's actually experiencing or they're or that something's actually occurring or is it because their mind is creating it therefore mm-hmm. they're experiencing it in their brain almost as a real thing so is it an external influence or is it an internal influence or is it a combination of both mm-hmm. you, you know you can get a, there, there's a lot of high tech equipment that you could use to actually map the brain watch what's going on during an investigation, see how people's brains react. I mean, they've done all kinds of studies using uh, MRI imaging, for instance. They've, they've MRI imaged uh, meditating uh, Buddhist monks' brains, and they found areas in the brain, some of the areas of the brain are extremely active, areas that normally wouldn't be active uh, during waking hours and during meditation. They're, they're wildly uh, being accessed. So, I mean, you could show stuff like that, but still, how do you quantify what is the actual, what is the makeup of the experience? Is it because you're creating it into reality, or are you simply experiencing something that's already there? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how you would actually ever 100% get the answer. Yeah, I don't know. You know I sent, Larry, I don't know if you got the link I sent you about the gorilla video. Did you see that? I did. Yeah, I okay. did. Okay. Tim, I'm sure you know there's this video out where you watch these basketball players pass the ball the gorilla walks through, and nobody ever sees the gorilla because they're so focused on the players. Have you heard about that video? No. Is it real? Is it a real yeah, video? It, yeah, it's a real video. Yeah. These two, I don't say we're neurophysiologists or psychologists or what, these two it guys was, did it this was, video. Uh, well, it was Michael Shermer, I think, was the one that presented it first. Well, no, but they're the two guys that did it, that put that together, the study, oh, yeah, yeah, back yeah. in 1999. Right. And basically what it is, it's this video of kids passing a basketball. Some have white shirts, some have black or whatever, you know. Yeah. And they, they tell you in the beginning, okay, count how many times the kids in the white shirt pass the ball back and forth. So, you know, everybody's going, oh, 16, no, 18, no, I counted 17. Well, at the end of the video, they replay it for you and show you that someone in a gorilla suit walks through the video very slowly, and you don't see it because you're so focused on counting the basketball passes. Right. right. Yeah. But now, now that everybody has seen it, the two guys that did the study did a new study where they thought, okay, if you know the gorilla is going to walk through, will you still see it? And apparently a lot of people that know of the video, that have seen it before, 
that saw the gorilla walk through the first time and felt like complete idiots still don't perceive it because your focus is on what you're told to focus on. So if we're not perceiving a huge amount of what's out there, how do we know what's out there? So the brain is our only means of perception. Yeah. If we're just limiting ourselves to perceive 10% of the possible 100% of all information coming at us, that's, that's pretty lame. That video is actually a part of my presentation, Marie. That I use that in every one of our. Uh, yeah, yeah I sat on the Queen things. Mary, and I was but, one of those idiots going, "Oh, I counted sixteen. No, 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 I counted. It was sixteen. <laughs> damn it!" And but he, here's I saw, another. I like, now, is this a real gorilla or is it a guy in a gorilla? No, no, no it's, it's a guy in a gorilla suit. Oh, okay, because I yeah. And it's but like you feel like a total idiot. Every time I've shown that, I mean, without exaggeration, probably ninety-nine percent of the room doesn't see the gorilla. But here's yeah. a, here's another thought with that too. Not only are we not paying attention to the gorilla coming in the center of the of the court beating his his chest uh, because we're we're paying so much or we're paying close attention to count the number of times the basketball is being passed, but the human body has such a limited sensory possess sensory uh, range or perception as well that. Mm-hmm. It may not just be because we're, we're cognitively ignoring that or paying attention. It's just we may not be able to actually perceive those things. Right, For instance, right. the, the human hearing range is basically from about 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. Well, there's a huge spectrum above and below that. There's infrasonic, there's ultrasonic, there's sounds that other types of species of animals can hear that we can't hear. So that's a huge part of the, the spectrum that we can't listen in on. Visual, same thing. I mean, there, there's yeah. infrared, near-infrared, ultraviolet. There's areas of the, of the yeah. visual spectrum that we can't see. So, you know, mm-hmm. in addition to, to not seeing these things because they're right in front of us, maybe it's also because they're right in front of us, but we don't have the, the perceptive abilities uh, built into us to even do it. Yeah, yeah. I just read an article the other day about how Robin's can see the magnetic spectrum. Like, yes, I saw that. I did see that, yeah. And so a lot like, of it is related no. to need. We as human beings don't, may not have the need to see that spectrum. We, we may not have the need to hear infrasound or ultrasound or whatever. But if other creatures do, it's like, a, you know, adaptation. You adapt to the needs that you have as a so, species. If you go by that, think about think about how our species is slowly evolving as it is now. You know, everything is basically handed to us on a plat- platter now. We've got mm-hmm. the Internet for our communications. We've got wireless signals and cell phones and mask transit. I mean, there really is no need for us to be anything but completely sedentary almost. So is it possible that that we are somehow evolving in a manner that is reducing the amount of psychic abilities that we do have? That's an interesting point, so. yeah. That, that, yeah. That, yeah, like we're devolving almost. Or exactly, like, yeah, de- yeah. Uh, devolution or devolution. Well, we have, or, yeah, we have yeah. technology to do our thinking for us. We, you know, it, the primitive cultures lived off the land. They needed the awareness of their environment. They needed to be intuitive. They needed to be instinctual. And all that stuff we don't need anymore. We're stuck in our cubicles, and, you know, we're so sheltered and protected from life. We have everything done. Our thoughts are thought for us. Everything is done for us. Why would we need to develop skills that lie dormant that we really don't need? Now, I once heard – now, you probably heard this old axiom that we only use like 10% of our brain or something. Is that true or is that just like no. an old wives' tale? I think that's a, a old wives' thing. Yeah, it's an old wives' tale. <laughs> yeah. But we do, But it's true. I mean, we don't use the full capability of our brain or do we use the full capability of perception or 
you know, nothing. I mean, knowledge, no, because, again, we're on a survival-slash-need-to-know basis. We right. only need to know what we need to know to survive. Yet, you know, think about the, how the body reacts if you're in a, an emergency situation, how a, a mother can lift a car off her child. And yet that's normally not something she can do in her day-to-day life. Mm. So perhaps our brains can be triggered to experience those quote-unquote other things if the need came along. Yeah, well, I think once they figure out more stuff like this thing about the robin or something, that they're going to end up developing ways to if not, like, give people the ability to do this, at least right. develop the technology X- to stimulate it. Do you know what I mean? X-ray right. specs. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that kind of thing. Larry, you're all about yeah. the X-ray specs. I yeah. know that. Oh, yeah. Completely. Except Very when you go to Walmart. I, don't want to, I do not want to use those in Walmart. <laughs> no, that's when you want to be blindfolded. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, man, all the Walmart lovers are going to be all over this episode, that's for sure. Now, what about you do a whole chapter here about voodoo and stuff like that and, and this, this fetishistic objects, which I figured that was Larry's forte, the fetish. That is not mine, Tim. No. Ah. I think it, it really is. both of us. Oh, my I God. I guess i got to admit. When I think of the word fetish, I immediately you know follow up I mean, with Larry. It's about belief. If you put a belief onto <laughs> a certain object. Why does it always have to object, be about me? It's always, always got to be about me. <laughs> because I'm a lady and I don't do those kind of things. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Now, talk a little bit about this because I thought it was weird just in general. Like, I, I figure that this whole voodoo thing is is really sort of like the result of a sort of placebo type effect. Is that sort it of is. what it you guys is. have come to the conclusion of? Yeah, it is. It's you plant the seed of a belief in someone. I mean, look at cults. My God, that's a perfect example. Mass hysteria, the witch burnings. These are perfect examples of planting the seed of belief in one or more brains and how it just takes off like wildfire. And if you truly believe that you are going to die, I'm sure on a physiological level, your body will respond to that continual belief, the negativity, the depression, the stress, the anxiety, whatever. And belief is incredibly powerful. Um, you know, I, I hate to bring this, well, I probably shouldn't say, but I know someone who had a very tragic occurrence last week where a child was murdered. Oh, God. Um, by her own mother, you know. And it was because of crazy beliefs. I mean, this is what belief can do. It can drive people to, to kill. It can, it can heal you. I mean, we all know people that had cancer that were given two months to live. I know I do. I have a really good friend. She was told she was going to be dead within two months. She's still alive. This is like years later. She said to hell with that. And, you know, belief can heal. It can kill. It can make people do the most insane things. And when you get mass belief, that's the worst. That's the worst. Yeah, like that tribe in Africa that all thought their penises were shrinking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, you know, people rioting. Well, I don't think the Dutch rioted too much after they lost the World Cup. They're not really the rioting kind of people. But, you know, I mean, look at when when you have these sports events and how crazy people get afterwards. That's like that mass belief that just – belief is is based on emotion. And when your emotion gets the best of you, you know, it, it doesn't always look good. Yeah, that's for sure. Larry, we're looking at you here on this one. No, I'm just teasing you, buddy. You know? <laughs> well, you know, Larry runs a cult, and you know, <laughs> firsthand, you know, the, the cult there of our past. <laughs> the cult of Larry. 
The cult of Larry. Cult of personality. Yeah. Now, I think you do mention some kind of experiment they did revolving around this sort of like uh, instilling energy into an object. I think they, I think you said they did it like with cookies or something like that. Is that even? Oh, chocolate. Okay, chocolate. yeah. I think yeah, Dean Radin did that. Um, well, actually, people chanted on it, I think, or prayed over the chocolate. Yeah, people are crazy. I mean, chocolate has healing properties to begin with. Um, but if you're told that eating a bunch of chocolate is going to make you <laughs> make you feel good, hey. So did that actually result in any sort of like findings, or was it just sort of like? It was. It was. Um, what's the word? I mean, it's not something that you could consider empirical, yeah. but it certainly seemed to point to the fact that if people believe what they're told, that they will respond accordingly. Now, what if you didn't? They say that deja vu is usually a sign of love at first sight. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. When I came up here for my interview, it was as though I'd been here before. I mean, we all have moments of deja vu, but this was ridiculous. It was almost as though I knew what was going to be around every corner. Now, what about a different sort of experiment where you tried to instill the energy into something just to test it to see if it actually did have any additional, if like if it changed the chemical makeup of it? Has that ever been done? Yeah, I mean, people are trying to do that with water. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, and what's his name? Oh, the, guy, the, the language yeah. of right. He, you know, yeah. he did it with water crystals. There are people. Uh, Josh Warren, you know Josh Warren, mm -hmm. Tim. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, he had his Genesis project. I don't know whatever became of it, but they were trying to do something with a a, vi a sterilized vial of water. The Lynn McTaggart has her huge ex intention experiments going on, where she asks people to. Um, focus on a particular thought to see if it affects plants or water or whatever that their thing is for the week. Um, yeah. And they claim results. I mean, again, I don't know that you can prove that that's what's causing it, but no. why wouldn't it? Well, I, I mean, mean just, you, the you know, that, has me, just the fact that the people know that they're taking part in an experiment and that, you know, they're they're being asked to to meditate or pray or whatever over the mm -hmm. thing. Maybe there's maybe that's what's setting up that self-fulfilling prophecy that we talked about yeah. before. You know? Exactly. That the chocolate tastes better or the food lasts longer just because, you know what because I mean? It was chanted over by Buddhists. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's the placebo. And I think that's what the whole 2012 thing is about. If people believe it's going to be a transformational time, I'm sure they will be transformed in some way. And that's, hey, fine. Oh, no, because so we don't, we're fucked? No, because for you, you'll just get up and it'll be like any other day. Everyone's going to be transformed those, around you know, us, but us. Apocalyptic Armageddon freaks that thinks the right. world's going to end. I, I have to tell you, this is so funny. I figured it was only a matter of time before somebody wrote a book about what happens after 2012. Not not like mine, not a nonfiction book, but like a, a novel. And, yeah, because, see, what's happening is people are figuring, oh, God, you know, what if nothing happens? Here I wrote that book that said the world was going to end. I better cover my ass. So So what's I this figured, new book about? <laughs> is it like the next no, big date? Or? Um, I don't know. I haven't read it, but and I don't have any plan to. But <laughs> And the same thing happened back in the 80s. You had Hal Lindsey claiming that, you know, Jesus was coming back and the world was going to end. And then when it didn't, he wrote another book explaining why he was wrong about the first book. And then when those predictions didn't come true, he wrote another one explaining why the uh, – 
I gave up after a while. It's like, yeah. you know what? <laughs> this guy's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but people believe what they want or need to believe. So now what about OBEs and near-death experiences? You guys looked into those things, too. How do these sort of, like, tie into the whole theory here? Or are these, like, so far beyond the realm of, of the normal that it's even difficult to sort of look at them in a the scientific framework? You got me zoned out. You said OBE, and I thought OBGYN. Sorry. Um, Jesus, Larry. That's what Larry wanted to be, but uh, he didn't have to. It, you know, I, yeah, yeah. It actually really yeah. – Go ahead, Larry. She's kidding. No, seriously. I, I totally would have been a, a gynecologist, but I think I would have – my first case, I probably would have gotten sued because I would have had a sign on the door, you know, no fat, ugly, nasty women. But anyways. Yeah. Oh, my um, God. Well, you, you got to have some kind of standards, right? There's got to be some quality control. <laughs> Larry, I guarantee you that if you saw that day after day after day, you'd be so burnt out. <laughs> really? You think so? Yeah, I do. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, they'd all know. start to look the same after a while. <laughs> wow. Okay, what were we talking about? <laughs> oh, out of body. Yeah, which is what we're all doing right now. Yeah, OBEs and NDEs. <laughs> like. NDEs. What, what, what do you make of all this? Because, Marie, you're, you're pretty I – mean, you're both really hardcore, like, into the scientific realm of, of you know, the paranormal and stuff. Like, what, what the hell is well, going on with these things? Okay, I'll take the more metaphysical approach, and I'll let Larry take the scientific. All right. It's, it's linked to deja vu in that it, these are just other ways that we might be entering altered states of consciousness, experiencing other realities that might be out there. Um, out of body is the classic example of the mind being separate from the physical body and the brain, that your mind can leave the physical body and go travel around and do things and leave the brain behind, um, which I think is why science is so you know, they're so against saying that, that OBEs have any kind of merit because yeah. that would disprove their belief that the brain is everything. Um, Near-death experience, now this is interesting. I, it could be that collectively we are all seeing the same thing because this is really what happens after we die. But there are certain parts of the brain that are involved, certain brain chemicals that seem to surge at the moment of death that might be causing these sort of last-minute visions. So you cannot discount, again, that the fact it, that this might just be a construct of the brain. I don't think it is, but, you know, that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, and it's hard to really, you can't, like, induce a near-death experience, like, if you want to keep your medical license and all that. You well, you could in a research setting, and they absolutely have. They've induced OBEs. There's a couple of centers, and I, I know we put the names of them in the book. Um, I think there's one in Switzerland or something, but there's places where you can actually go and register to partake in studies and where they trigger an OBE in you or they trigger deja vu so they can study you know, what you're going through and what your brain's going through. Just like the God helmet type stuff? Yeah. 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 Larry, what do you think of all this stuff? You know, I, I think there there probably is something to it. There's way too many stories of, of near-death experience and and, um, and OBEs both that there, there has to be something to it. You know, usually when there's smoke, there's some fire. Um, I've obviously never had any kind of personal experience with either one, or I probably would be a wholly different person. Um, but certainly, I think it is a possibility. Uh, there was a book that I read a couple of years ago, and... I'll be damned if I can remember it, but it was a doctor that had written about um, where he did a uh, 
studies of a bunch of children that had had past life. Um, do you remember what that book was, Marie? You was know what I'm talking Raymond, about? Raymond Moody? Or? No, I don't think it was him. It was... Well, anyway... All right, keep it, talking. It was, I'll try to Google it. Okay. This doctor had done studies of... Um, there's probably 15 or 20 different kids that had had... Uh, past life They memories. basically were able to... Yeah, they had these past life memories where they were able to... They were young children, too. They were able to recall in, in very uh, specific and, and graphic detail periods of time uh, and, and languages and geographic uh, structures and things that they would have had absolutely no way to have had that type of, mm-hmm. of knowledge. Um, you know, that kind of stuff to me, I mean, this was this was phenomenal uh, reading something like Dr. this. I think it's Dr. Melvin Moore. Does that sound familiar? No, Dr. no Melvin it wasn't Moore. him either. No? <laughs> I'm looking at my book. See, I'm at water. <laughs> Got it in here somewhere. Um, yeah, Matt Water did a lot. I remember, it was a white too. book. Um, but, a bunch you know, of new ones too. You know, reading stuff like that to me, you know, you read about these children that can speak languages from countries, you know, five thousand miles away, or that have memories of of wars that occurred three and four centuries before they were even born. You know, that to me really kind of that's really interesting, and you know, there has to be something to that, right? I mean, there really does. I mean, there, you know, children, children don't have the, the, the abilities really, and especially some of these, some of these kids that they had uh, done the studies on, uh, were fairly, um, I don't know what the politically correct term for them nowadays, but they were fairly poor. So they really didn't have access to the, and, this, and this, these studies were before the internet. They, they really didn't have access to libraries or anything else where they could have studied this kind of stuff. Not to mention the fact that, you know, four and five year olds probably would have a hard time comprehending, you know, Latin language, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that is interesting in itself. Um, there have been a lot of stories, a lot of things that I've read about near-death experiences. In fact, I actually met a gentleman at the Atlanta conference uh, that had had a near-death experience. And I went to lunch with him, and uh, we were sitting there talking. And I asked him, you know, what was it like? Was it really, was it the the tunnel that you walk down, the light at the end of the tunnel, and you're greeted by all the family and everything else? And he said. It was kind of like that, he said, but it really was more of a personal type thing. He said that he's read all the same stories about people that have had, you know, well, go to the light at the end of the tunnel and your family's waiting for you and they're going to greet you and bring you into heaven and all that stuff. He said it was kind of like that, but a little bit different in that it, he thinks that it's tailored to each different person, that the, the experience is not specifically the tunnel, the light at the end of the tunnel and the family, that it, it really is is – I don't remember exactly how he worded it, but it's it's a much more personal type experience than just that. And, you know, it was very convincing what he had said about, you know, how he was he clinically died, he was dead for 10 minutes, and, you know, the things that, that he was experiencing. Uh, there has been recently, and I, this has only been within the past couple of months that I read about this, uh, that there was an actual hospital that was doing some research on near-death experience where they had placed... And I think, Marie, you know this one, too, because I'm almost positive I sent you a link to this, where they had placed a uh, a card with a number written on it on the mm-hmm. ceiling. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think I know. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, where they had placed it up on the ceiling uh, out of visual view from the from the operating table with the theory that if the person was able to die and then somehow come back, right. that if they were the floating around the, the room looking, that they would actually be able to see that number and have some recollection of that number. So... 
I don't know what ever happened with that. Did you, did you guys ever hear if there, did, I know it was, it was extremely controversial that a, a hospital was doing that, but did you guys ever hear if anything came about that? No, no. It just, it just rings a bell, but I don't know exactly what, you know, where or what happened with that whole thing. Yeah, I just, I just got a couple of new books on NDEs and I'm trying to find them in my shelf of 10 billion books. I well, mean, it's ongoing. The research into NDEs and deja vu, it's, it's very intensive. It's ongoing. Well, the thing with, oh, I can't find with the OBEs too is that it raises sort of an interesting paradox. And, and, uh, I heard, uh, Dr. Stephen Browd or Browdy, uh, mm-hmm. recent interview with him, and he kind of raised some similar sort of issues regarding, you know, mediums and ESP and that kind of thing. But like with the, like, like, let's take, for example, these kids that you're talking about, Larry, like you run into the paradox where it's like, you don't know necessarily if they're recalling a past life if, or if right. they're accessing the ether. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Out in the field, out in the grid. The field or something that yeah. they're able to access and draw that information from. Yeah, exactly. Right. And how do you get a four or five year old to explain to you, you know, where this information is coming from? Yeah, they probably right. have no idea. Exactly. That's the wall you run up against, I guess, when you're trying to decipher this paranormal stuff. Because you, right. you know, once you get into like the example he used was like, you know, the medium might tell you that your dead uncle's will is like in this desk drawer or something, and if, if you go and find it, yeah, it's there. But mm. you don't necessarily know that he didn't access it through ESP instead of actually talking to the dude. Right. Right. You know, so it's like That's something that that we have talked about really getting into is this information field, the source, whatever you want to call it, because there, you know, there are corresponding scientific concepts, and if it does exist, which I don't know how you'd prove it, but if it does, it would pretty much explain everything. It would be like the theory of everything for the paranormal and unknown anomalous fields. Well, you just wonder where the hell it's all directly going. Directly into to information theory. So, you know, people in, in the scientific community are talking about information theory. Everything mm-hmm. comes down to information. Well, that information is stored somewhere. It's it's hanging around somewhere. And maybe some people are better at accessing it than others. Yeah. But, you know, then again, why? why? That, to me, is the most fascinating aspect of the whole thing is why are some people – how are some people – more able or apt to do that. You know, again, does that come back to some sort of uh, weird brain chemical thing mm-hmm. that's going on? I mean, why is it some people have that special gift and then, you know, yeah, but wait, what if like everybody does? What if, it's, well, what if it's just lying possible. dormant in most people? But what is the mechanism that causes right. those special people to, to be able to experience those things? It, you know, we talked at, at length about... Um, DNA and about mm-hmm. uh, some of some of the unused portions of DNA. You know, maybe you know there, there's so many possibilities. But why is it that you know some people have these abilities and and the people that do have it sometimes are people that don't even want it, and then right, there's, exactly. there's people like you and me that are you know would we want it. love we to have an experience like this <laughs> and we can't have one. <laughs> Then you get into sort of like also something you cover in the book is like savants and stuff like that and how yeah. It, you know, what, like how it's how the brain? Yeah, yeah. The brain, I think. You know, Larry and I have talked about it. We always think of the brain as the creator of reality, but perhaps it's really acting more as a, re- a receiver. So, if everybody's brains are a little bit different, everybody's brains are going to receive a little bit different information. I mean, it may just come down to that. If you've got brain damage and you've got one particular part of the brain that doesn't work. 
you know, that may cause another part to to work overtime. Yeah. And then you have the savant syndrome. Um, so, yeah, the brain is the most important tool, but there's still some something going on outside the brain to make all this happen. Yeah, it's like they work in concert together, but we don't even yeah, know what, exactly. what the thing is that's working in concert with the brain is. Exactly. Right. Consciousness, mind, you know, is it collective mind, whatever. It's weird. That's what it is, Marie. It is weird. It's really weird. Kim, have you never had any of those type? Have you never had an experience like that? Have you never had like an out of body experience or a astral travel or anything? No, never had anything like that. Nothing really. Do you no. want to? Why are you offering? No. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, Larry has a side business where. <laughs> yeah, he induces. Yeah, over. for five bucks, I'll hook you up. <laughs> five bucks. Just five bucks. He hits you with a two that. by four or something, and <laughs> you actually you, travel. You'll see stars really close up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never had anything like that. How about you? Have you had any experiences like that? You know, I, I've never had an out of body experience, but I've had. I've definitely not had the near death experience, but I've had the. Uh, lucid dream. I've done that several times. Mm-hmm. I've had that. Yeah, I mean, maybe cool. a little bit of a a stretch from what we're talking about, but I've definitely had that. I've also had, Murray, what would you call that dream? Remember I took that picture of that thing that I drew? What the hell would you call that? Oh, my God. I was that? Call that. We were going to try to decipher that. He, what did I don't he know. draw? He, he drew images and, like, word phrases. What, weren't they in Latin? I still have it I don't, know. I don't even know what the hell they And are. it was about like a um, doorway to another dimension yeah, I, or something. Oh, Larry. Infinity. You had the infinity symbol and you... It was like... From what I remember, like you drew it. I didn't it. even know what the hell it was, but I always keep a, a pen and a piece of paper next to my bed because I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes with ideas for stuff, you know, or, or things that I need to do, shit that I need to yeah. do throughout the day. So, you know, I'll wake up at these weird hours and I'll write stuff down. Well, I, I had this weird dream... Um, but this wasn't really a dream. This was more of like a, it was like a, a vision or an image of stuff. So I just started writing this stuff down and I fell back asleep. I didn't really think about, about it till the next morning and I'm looking at it. I'm like, what the hell is this? What did and I, I took, I took a picture of it with my phone and sent it to Marie and, and she looked at it and I guess she recognized one of the things that I didn't. It was the, and then the rest was, of it, it made absolutely no sense. Yeah. Do what? It was the infinity symbol that you had. It was laying on its side. But, I mean, you, you had words in Latin. Remember, we both Googled them at the same time. It's like, oh, my God, they're actual words. They made sense. Something about a doorway to, you know, to another level of reality or whatever. Jesus I don't know Lord. what kind of dream that is. It's an information, yeah, and, informational and Kim, I, have ne- I have never, I don't drink. I have never done any kind of a narcotic in my life. I mean, there, were, there was no explanation, no unnatural explanation for what the hell this was. I mean, I've had that. I've had a lost time incident. Actually, me and, and a bunch of people in my group had it. We all lost uh, about, what was it, almost almost three hours worth of time we lost mm-hmm. on an investigation that we were doing. So, I, you know, I've had some weird stuff, but, you know, certainly not the, the really cool stuff that some people have had. I mean, the, the near-death experience, while I certainly don't want to come close to dying, I yeah. think it would be very interesting to see, you know, if what, what – um, my friend had told me it was actually true that it was a really personal type experience uh, or if it was really kind of the, the generic light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing. Well, but don't you know, I'd, I'd like about to a personal that. review of your, of your life? That would make it personal, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, I think so to a certain extent, but I meant the actual, you know, do you see your relatives? Do they agree to you? You know, right. all that kind okay. of stuff. Yeah, the, uh, you know, it's actually interesting. I'm I'm a Rosicrucian, so I'm, I've been reading through a lot of the, the uh, 
the stuff that I get from them. Yeah. And I'm up to like the fifth book that, that they sent me. And I'm, I was reading through that the other night. I, I'm not supposed to tell you, but I'm, I'm going to anyways. Can I like, put it on the show? Yeah, it's like secret knowledge. And yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I don't think it's anything. Secret. I don't think it's really anything all that, that bad. But, um, You're going to get you know, branded, man. You're going to get branded what? by the Rosicrucians like on Lost. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, one of the concepts, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around this, is that basically the – and I'm trying to remember exactly how this was worded – but the, the after – the life review process after death basically mm-hmm. lasts until you're reincarnated. So it's not, you know, where a lot of people think that, you know, you sit there and, and you're judged and you see this life review. Uh, the Rosicrucian perspective of that really is more that you're judging yourself yeah. and that you're sitting there and you're, you're reviewing this really as long as it takes until you can judge it and then reincarnate. So it's kind of, a, it's, it's kind of a, a little bit of a different perspective on what, you know, yeah. religions mm-hmm. generally tend to think of, but it, it, very interesting. I mean, there, there are so many different, um, rituals and rites and everything else that's associated with death and everything. As a matter of fact, we're writing an article right now for Taps Prayer Magazine about some of the weird uh, death celebrations throughout the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, all of those things, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just really interesting. I mean, it, that's what makes makes things so much so much fun, I guess, in life. I mean, all these mysteries that we've got and all these, these unknown uh phenomena of things that we're exploring. I mean, I guess if we ever truly knew the answer to everything, life would be a pretty damn boring thing. It would, but how would you really know it was the truth? Yeah. What if they ever figure out out-of-body experiences and people can just do it on their own? Can you imagine, like, what the world would be like? They'd be like all these... Nobody would be at their jobs. Nobody yeah, would, no. would get any work done. Everybody would be out traveling, actually yeah. traveling. <laughs> yeah, they'd be like, they'd be like the Matrix. They'd be like all these but, bodies. You know, we laugh like at that, but there. that's probably why we're not meant to do that kind of stuff. We, how would we function as human beings if we were always out in the ozone somewhere? That's true. Okay, here's, here's an idea. Let me let me float this out there since we're getting really kind of deep and philosophical here. We're deep into what the forest. Yes. What, yeah. What if our our daily lives, where we actually we go through the day, going to work and spending time with our families and doing all the things that we do. What if this is really our sleeping period, mm-hmm. and then when we go to state. go to bed at night, that's really our awake state, kind of a flip flop toggle there. Could, I mean, that's been suggested. That would be great because, man, my dreams are a whole lot more interesting than my uh, waking state. <laughs> so you're saying like the, the dreaming, like when you dream and shit, that would be like the real reality? and, and Yeah, that's maybe dream. that's the real reality. And, and what, Talk to the aborigines. I mean, to them, yeah, the dream state was just as important as the waking state, if not more so. That's where they got wisdom and knowledge. Yeah, well, it does seem to be a school of thought that puts a lot of stock into the into the import of dreams. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like... I never really gave it much thought till I got further into the esoteric, and then it was like, maybe there's more to dreams than I thought there were. You know, some people yeah. think, like, when you dream, you're kind of like what Larry's saying. You're in a whole different universe or something like that. So I think so. I mean, you know, these people go on the news and, oh, they I'm a dream interpreter. If you dream of flying, you're sexually repressed. It's like, you know, get out of town. If you dream of flying, it's because you want to fly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. in your dream. I mean, this BS about the subconscious working out its kinks. I, I think that might apply to some dreams, but it certainly doesn't apply to all of them, and definitely not lucid dreams. 
Because when you're lucid dreaming, you're consciously aware on a particular level, maybe not fully conscious, but you're definitely not operating off the subconscious. Now, completely off the off the beaten path here. We have you know, we've talked about Larry's strange experiences. Marie, have you ever been on a ghost hunt? Seems like something that Larry would. I have. Bring you- I, I have. Okay. They, they. I hate to say this, but they kind of bore me to tears. I get bored really easily. So if something doesn't happen, I'm like, okay, come on. Um, that's not my thing. I've had a lot of uh, metaphysical experiences. I guess you could say. Yeah. I've it, during meditations. I had a. Very traumatic, um, I guess you could say an out-of-body experience as a kid from a traumatic event. Um, I've had, I remember when I was a kid, I used to go out in nature because we had woods behind our house and a lake. And honest to God, I must have just completely lost track of time. And I would just, I, it was like having an ecstatic experience. Uh, but So mine have been all more, a little more metaphysical. Ghosts, UFOs, no. Not really. Yeah. I've had a couple of things. I had an encounter with um, a family that had a poltergeist, very, very violent one. I never saw it firsthand, but I saw the damage that it did to the family. It was a very good friend of mine. And um, that was probably, you know, the scariest thing that's ever happened. Weird. But I was in MUFON for 15 years, never saw a UFO. Oh, man. Never saw something that I couldn't explain. Never went on an investigation and talked to witnesses and was not able to explain you know, what they probably saw. I think I'm too analytical. Uh, you know, daughter of a scientist, I just automatically go into left brain mode. Yeah, well, it seems like the more you're into this stuff, the less likely you are to have a cool experience, unless you had a cool experience that drove you into it. Then yeah, I mean, I think those experiences stuff. are right brain driven. I really do. And I think when you start writing and researching, you know, your left brain is kicking in maybe a little bit too much. Maybe because I write book after book, I need to take like a few months off and just turn the left brain off and maybe something will happen. But Keep the faith. Yeah, keep the faith. <laughs> but you know what, Tim? It's happened enough in my life with enough regularity that it keeps me going. Exactly. Um, I, well, I think the last thing I had, um, I can't remember. Well, I had a I had a cat that I loved so much. It was my first cat. My husband had given my ex husband had given it to me for an anniversary present, and after it died for about a year, he and I would feel it jump up onto the bed at four o'clock in the morning every morning, because that's when it would come in the room and jump up on the bed, and we would see the depression in the quilt where oh, it would wow. lie, and you know it was kind of cool. It was like, oh wow, there's Elvis, and when my son was born. <laughs> Um, my cat's personality was very, very distinct. It, he was a, he was a bastard. He was a, just a brat of a cat. And when my son was born, he literally had that same personality. And it was almost like the cat went into him. So his middle name is Elvis. <laughs> that's my, that's my ghost story. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, you know, things have happened enough. Um, I've done some ghost things like on the Queen Mary and stuff. It, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. I have been to some places where people have literally told me that nothing has happened, but they were um, rumors were built around this particular place to attract tourism. Yeah. And yet you've got people going there by the hundreds every weekend saying that they're having experiences. That really kind of bothers me. Was it the Whaley House? Um, There's (laughs) a number of them. Yeah, there's a number of them. I do admit, though, as a kid, have you ever been to the Hotel Dell? 
when you've been down here? No, I've just been to the Whaley House. Okay. Well, the Hotel Dell, they had a, a, a wing that was supposedly haunted, and they they kind of cordoned it off. But they were building a gift shop. This this was like 20 years ago. And I remember, no, actually more. I think we had just moved here from New York. I was a teenager. And we went as tourists, you know, and, and we're going into this gift shop. And I remember coming close to the cordoned off area and feeling like I was going to throw up. Oh, God. This feeling of just blackness and and doom. And I didn't know about the hotel's reputation until much later. So who knows? I might have been picking up on some energy or maybe, you know, there were a lot of loose wires around and I was just having some EMF effects. I don't know. But, yeah, I just it just really bothers me. I go on Facebook and there's all these groups going to these locations that I know are not haunted because I've read about the history. Yeah. Um, but they perpetuate the belief that these locations are. And it's almost like this tourism industry has been built up around, you know, ghost hunting. I yeah. Yeah. You keep waiting I for the bubble to burst. I would say innocent. But... I mean, maybe Larry can speak to this. I would say that it's innocent and everybody's having fun, but I think it's detrimental to people that are really trying to figure out what the hell's going on out there. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. Larry, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. We've got um, – we have a, a location here in Arkansas that was uh, on one of the, the Ghost Hunters episodes. And after the, the the airing of that show, this place basically has been booked months in advance for the ghost tour that they have. And there's absolutely nothing going on at this place, but they have completely, completely uh, embraced the whole haunted aspect of business and basically they build themselves as this, this haunted hotel now so you know the, the, they derive the vast majority of the of their uh, visitors from people that are coming to see the ghost they're coming to, right. to yeah. have experiences at this thing and right. you know do I have a problem with that yes I do I, you know I, I think that, that is it's deception first of all I mean they are they are selling something that is not truly that there's really no way to quantify as being you know a truly for sure thing and, you know, secondly, it's, I mean, it's just, it's just not good karma, I don't think. I mean, doing that kind of stuff and, and I, yeah, I, I really don't. I don't think it's a good idea. I mean, certainly the shows on TV and things have, have really brought more exposure to our field. They've definitely brought more people to have an awareness of paranormal investigation as a whole. But these, these locations, you know, that are building themselves as, as haunted or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, all it's doing basically is it's, I think, propagating, it's, it's this self-propagating thing. And, yeah. you know, it, it's gotten, it, it's made it also very difficult for, for real investigators like my group to get in locations because now these people, all they care about is, is the almighty dollar and the fact that someone that they believe to be legitimate has certified them or whatever is being haunted. So anybody else that wants to do any type of legitimate research in the place, they want to charge you an arm and a leg to come in and investigate it. Yeah. And I just I don't think that's right. I mean, the people that are deriving all that money from that, it's just not. You know, it would probably it wouldn't bother me as much if people build it as you know this is for entertainment, this is right, for right. this is for yeah. recreation, it's you know, legend. Have fun. Legend yeah. is that it is. But haunted. you know, to build it right. as something that you have absolutely mm-hmm. no way of of saying for mm-hmm. sure, it just is not. That to me is just not good. I mean, you cannot tell me that every single one of these places where a traumatic death has occurred is haunted, because if that's the case, the place I'm living in would be. Okay, somebody was killed here 20, 30 years ago traumatically. 
every almost every house in the country would be haunted. Yeah, every hospital, it, every I mean, nursing home. Total yeah, BS. Right. It's total BS that, and especially the one that kills me the most is the one associated with um, The Shining. Um, oh yeah. You know, it's like nobody wanted to listen to the fact that everybody was saying there's. You know, that was all made up. Same thing with the Queen Mary. It's total BS. I know I'm going to get a lot of shit for it, but I don't care. Yeah. Um, it's like, you no, know, it's people are in denial. They want these places to be what they want them to be. Now, I will say, though, if you get a bunch of people going into these places and they so believe that they're going to have an experience that they actually do, that is a whole nother ball game because now they're going to perpetuate that myth. Well, I was there and I had an experience. That doesn't mean the place was haunted. Yeah, exactly. No, it doesn't. I don't know. No. I, I found out recently from some people in the paranormal community that I'm not thought I'm sort of a pariah for what? saying stuff like this. But you know what? I don't care. I'm so sick of the BS. It is. It's gotten to be a popularity contest. Which group is prettier and hotter? You know, who's getting the next TV show? Um, Nobody is taking what they're doing seriously. Nobody. I'm, well, I'm not. That's not true. There are some groups out there, and I'm so sick of this. Our group is scientifically based because we've got equipment. Uh, right. Hello. Yeah. yeah. I have a video camera. Does that make me Steven Spielberg? <laughs> I wish. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry. I mean, you know, Larry's much more immersed in this than I am. So, but from my vantage point, I see. The bandwagon, hopefully, is about to break, and the only people that are going to remain are those of us that have been there from the beginning. Exactly. Well, anybody in the paranormal community that doesn't like you, Marie, is, first of all, a fucking clown. Second, <laughs> yeah, they they're are. not serious about wanting to understand this stuff because you're one of the most serious, hardcore researchers out there. So I don't think they expect it from a girl, honestly. <laughs> I think they think I'm going to you know, come off as... There's a lot of women in the ghost hunting field. There's not a whole lot of women doing what I'm doing. I think they think I'm going to come off as being very submissive. And But as a writer, I get to see everything from the outside vantage point. Exactly. And, it, you know, I've always admired the people. Like, this is one of the reasons why Nick is so high on my list, because he, he's not in the fray of all that crap. You know, these, and that's why Larry and I just, you know, that's why I wanted to work with Larry. We're stand, we're in the field, but we're not of it. Exactly. <laughs> Does that make any sense? No, that's how I feel too about myself. Yeah. So yeah. We're in it, but we're not, we're not made of it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Too I don't know, people, Larry, yeah. is, I don't want to speak for you, you know? No, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, we're like our own worst enemy. I mean, I've been in the field long enough to know that, I mean, it, it's, a lot of times it's just complete bullshit. I mean, everyone is, there are so many groups that are out there that are so competitive and they're all about image and, you know, who's got the spikiest hair and who's got the, <laughs> the biggest boobs and you know, yeah, who's got the nicest yeah. t-shirts. And, you know, it, there really is a lot of ego, unfortunately, that's involved in it. And, you know, to me, I, I would disagree with Marie from the perspective of I don't really see this going down I mean, this is this is kind of the whole paranormal investigation field. It kind of ebbs and flows, and there's cycles. And it may go away, but it's definitely going to be back. I mean, paranormal investigation really has been occurring for about 160 years since the birth of the spiritualist movement. So yeah. people right. have been interested in this for, for a much, much longer period of time than these stupid TV shows that are out there. Right. But that's so I think, I think – 
I think the subject will shift, but I think, you know, that mankind, until we actually have some definitive answers as far as what happens after physical death of the body, this is always going to be an interest, whether it is something, whether it's something that... But you know what? 20 years ago, Larry, it was UFOs. Everybody wanted to be involved in UFOs. Now it's both, so... Who knows it is, what but the I, next I think step the UFO be. thing, you know, I don't, I'm not a huge, obviously, you know, I don't know a whole lot about that field. But I would say the difference, though, between the two things and the reason why the UFO thing really hasn't, hasn't, uh, continued as much as the, as the ghost thing is, is probably for a number of reasons. One, there's a significant amount of fake evidence that was out there with the extraterrestrial stuff. Mm-hmm. And then two, it, it's such a, a reactive type uh, investigative right, exactly. experience right, right. that you're 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 investigating something basically after the fact. Exactly. Now, if you look at that from switch that around and from the paranormal perspective, this is actually something that we can investigate proactively. You mm-hmm. can set up a recorder in your house. You can do you know EVP right. recordings on the phone. For it. You can go look for it versus the UFO thing. It's damn near impossible to predict where it's going to, you know, where the next touchdown is going to be. Right. So I, I do think that, yes, it, it's maybe going to go down a little bit, but it's certainly not going to go away. And that the serious people are going to stay in the field just like they always have. But I think we're, we're going to continue to have new and upcoming people and probably a lot of douches in the field that we shouldn't. <laughs> but that's just kind of the way that it, it is. I mean, it just kind of ebbs and flows like that. It's probably like that in a lot of different fields. Oh, it um, is. Fields. You know what? I mean, it is. It's just the the um, circus quality that we have seen, or carnival quality almost, that we've seen as of late. Yes. For for someone like me who can can kind of say to myself, screw that, I can go write about other things. I've been yeah. really tempted to do that, and I don't want to because my heart well, is here. Right, and I just thought of this too. I I think another reason why you're seeing much more of a of an exposure to the paranormal really than anything else is because of the, the breadth of communication that we have today with oh, the yes. internet, and with Twitter, yeah. with Facebook, Facebook, social media. You know, all of those abilities that we have now that we didn't have ten or fifteen years ago have really helped to to hook up a lot of these people that have this common interest. Yeah, that's so. True, yeah. So we can blame it on the media and on technology. <laughs> yeah. Just like we blame everything else on the media and on technology. And, and uh, if you really want to get into it, you could blame it on the almighty dollar. Because unfortunately, you know, this is something, or not, I shouldn't say unfortunately, this is something that everyone universally has an interest in, and the advertisers mm-hmm. damn well know it. And yeah, but isn't it also, shows. but the psychological aspect of people wanting to follow. I mean, in general, people are followers. Sure. So you... I mean, the whole idea of sheeple, I, I never see it more pronounced than I do in the paranormal field, even more right. so than politics, yeah, where you've got people that will follow anyone who claims to be an expert, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, irregardless of what they are, what they've been able to prove or, or uh, yeah, it's that part of it bothers me. Like the yeah. money part, yeah, you're right. The advertisers are always going to be right there salivating. Um, but it's the people that blindly follow that that don't have any ideas of their own, no leadership qualities of their own, never had an original thought in their life. We hate those people. No, I don't hate them. Oh, we don't them. hate it's them. Okay. That, that what's happening is they, it's like the hamster <laughs> on the wheel. They just keep 
perpetuating the same research over and over, the same ideas, the same theories. Oh, my God. It's Well, that may be when you see the, the ghost thing kind of run out of steam then, maybe, when it's like, you know, how many EVPs can we really get? How many? <laughs> Millions or, of I know. It's like, more? exactly. I think maybe it'll reach some point where these people that are out ghost hunting are like, you know what, dude, I don't like, I don't want to go out this this. weekend. Yeah. (laughs) This is boring me to tears. We've got 10 zillion EVP. We've got, you know, 90,000 hours of video and photos. At some point, don't you have to kind of set all that out in front of you and say, okay, well, what's the cause of all this? Yeah. The ghost hunting seems like it's just a study of the symptoms of this whole thing and no actual study of, like, what's causing it all. Exactly. And you know why? Because it's boring to sit in a room alone and write or think or theorize. It's much more exciting to go out there in that social... And I absolutely understand that. It's fun. It's exciting. You feel like you're a part of something. But nobody seems to want to do the the harder work of, you know, trying to get your brain to work. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, see. I better shut up while I'm getting off on this thing here. So, but see, I don't run a group. I, I have a different perspective. So I am not speaking for anybody who's in a group or runs a group. I am speaking from the writer's standpoint. Exactly, yeah. You don't have to and, qualify and we, it. Writers can say whatever the hell they want. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm a writer. Now, I missed you guys between 11.11 and the the new book here, the Deja Vu Enigma. So I guess just tell us a little bit about what um, the resonance key was all about so people can go out and get that because chances are – even remember? <laughs> by the time I speak with you next time, we'll be on a whole different book. So oh it's going to be lost to the ether of, uh, of our conversation. So, you know, what, what's the resonance key? And, and, you know, people should go pick it up, obviously. What's it all about? Larry? Go for it. Are you eating? No, I'm not eating. I think he is eating. Are you watching I am porn not again? No, actually, I haven't eaten yet, actually. You're watching porn, huh? Yeah, that's it. I'm checking out <laughs> Women right. of Walmart. The Women of Walmart. Tim's going to go on that site when, as soon as the show's over. Yeah, we'll, yeah. Put, right. we'll put a link up to Women of Walmart so listeners we can should. find it and check it out. Oh, there's such good butt crack shots, I swear. It's awesome. Um, all right, the resonance key, the subtitle kind of explains it. It's exploring the links between vibration consciousness and the zero point grid and basically what the book is about is how resonance whether we're talking about sound vibration um you know frequency how that that quality that essence seems to have a whole lot to do with how we perceive and manifest reality um the book includes everything from healing with sound to levitating objects with sound waves how sound affects us, how infrasound can cause paranormal experiences, how our bodies have different resonance, not just that, but the earth itself has different resonance levels and frequencies, and how all of that ties into how we perceive and manifest reality. Interesting. Okay. It's a a deep book. Um, I think people had a harder time getting it. Then, you know, 11.11 was about the power of numbers and deja vu enigmas about the brain and the mind. Um, but the resonance key really took some of the concepts that I wrote about in science and that Larry and I ended up talking a lot about and expanding on and updating. Yeah. Um, how consciousness plays a role in, you know, what your reality is. What is the missing link that the mechanism that allows you to create reality or see reality? Is it vibration? Is it frequency? 
Interesting. Okay, so that's in the residence. Larry, you have anything to add to that? No, I mean, that pretty much sums it up. For whatever reason, the book was... I thought it was a great book. I mean, I, I think yeah. it's a it's a spectacular book, but for whatever reasons, people seem to be more not as as into that as they were to eleven eleven, and probably deja vu yeah. now as well. But I think it was way too. Um, I think it was maybe a little ahead of its time. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. Well then, okay. Well, we'll we'll get ahead of our time here now because you got another book coming up called the uh, the Trinity Secret. What is that all about, and uh, what's the status on the uh, Trinity Secret? The Trinity Secret is like half done, I think. (laughs) (laughs) This is a really hard one to describe. It's there seems to be three levels of reality. There seems to be a three-part process to creation, and this three-part process is found in just about all religious traditions. World mythologies, creation stories, origin myths. It's found in psychology. It's found in studies of the brain and consciousness. It's found in quantum physics. So the number three, for some reason, is very profound and sacred in all these different arenas. And because of this, because it is tied into a three-step process by which you take something out of nothing and create physical reality. I know that's really profound. It's not a paranormal book. It is in no way a religious book, despite the title. Um, It's just one of those things where you start to notice the connections and the bigger pictures. And for some unknown reason that we hope to explore, the number three is deeply involved. Okay, so it's like an expansion of the number three part of 1111. Yeah, it actually is. It actually is. And actually, some of it is taken from a, a thesis that I wrote years ago when I was in ministerial school, and um, when I submitted it, you know, the panel that that reads it and and judges it, they were shocked because they had never thought about this triune symbolism as anything other than something, you know, you see in Roman Catholicism. But if you look around, it's there. The Greeks knew about the Romans, the Sumerians, the Babylonians, um, you know, indigenous traditions and cultures, it, for some reason, there is a prominence of number three in the way that they view reality and how creation came about and how we as humans also create our reality, too. It's uh, directly linked with the, the law of attraction, which is very popular right now mm-hmm. and actually has some basis in quantum physics. So it's taken it further out there. Nice. Now you say that's half done. So once the... You know, you got a plan to when that's going to drop? It's supposed to be out, I think, April 2011, and we're supposed to have another book right on the heels of that. What's that one about? I have tell no freaking clue. Oh. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no freaking Well, we have a couple and of Unfortunately, I don't, think, I don't think we're going to look out and the publisher is going to tell us which one to do this time. Yeah, but you know what I noticed, Larry? It's every other book. Okay, so it was 11.11 was the publisher's idea. Resonance was ours. Deja Vu was the publisher's idea. Trinity was ours. So the next one. <laughs> That's going to be the publisher's, <laughs> be the publisher's idea. idea. Yeah. See? Yeah. Hopefully. It's all about pattern. Have some faith, Larry. Jesus. I know it. Gosh. <laughs> He's getting a little tired here. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. We'll wrap it up here. I, I, I just, I just love talking to you guys. I could talk all night, but I know you got things to do. And well, we'll have to do another session at some point. Absolutely. As I said, at any time there's a BOA audio season, 
you guys are going to be involved. So you don't have to worry about that. It's become a tradition now. Absolutely. And I just love our conversation because it's so laid back and loose. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you kind of – I'll be honest. You, the Last year's show was just so loose that – I think it kind of inspired sort of a, a sort of a shift a little bit of the of the program in a way to a, a, an even more looser really? style. Yeah, because really? it's sort of Oh my gosh, we are so powerful, Larry. Honestly. You're influential, yeah. big time. So, <laughs> so for those folks who are like, but all of America is way too loose now. You can blame Larry yeah. and Marie. They said the, bad words. Didn't Larry say the f word? He dropped the f bomb. Oh my god. Yeah, and he, yeah. Larry had some crazy stories on that show. Yeah. It was it was wild. It was so much fun. And, and this year with our women of Walmart. Uh, segways and all the other stuff. It's it's keeping the tradition alive. So it is. Uh, Hope alive, brother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paraexplorers.com is the website. That's where folks can find out more about you guys. Of course, the new book, The Deja Vu Enigma: A Journey Through the Anomalies of Mind, Memory, and Time. Hopefully, we've given you a a pretty good look at all the different stuff that's covered in there. I mean, like I said before, you look at the cover; it's a lot like the Eleven Eleven book. You think. You know, how could you write a whole book about deja vu? But once you get into it, you get further and further into, as I said, the forest of weirdness and into yep, the mind. and you have to mind. look at that subtitle. It's all in the subtitle. Exactly. Anomalies, mind, memory, and time. So <laughs> all that stuff's in there. And yep. it's just fantastically researched, as expected from you guys. Like I said, I don't know why anybody in the paranormal community would have a problem with, with you guys because you you do the legwork and the actual research, so well, I mean, every time I read your stuff, I learn a shitload of, of new information that I never would have had the the wherewithal to go out and find myself. So I mean, hats off to you guys for that. Thank you. And uh, once again, thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you, Tim. We will be back anytime. Yeah, right, Larry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, if he could fit it into yeah. the schedule. He doesn't cancel yeah. on me three or four fucking times ahead of time. Oh, whatever. <laughs> All right. That does it for this week's edition of BOA Audio Season 5. Big, big, super huge thanks, of course, to Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman. You definitely want to go out and pick up their new book, The Deja Vu Enigma, A Journey Through the Anomalies of Mind, Memory, and Time. And, of course, pick up their other books, The Resonance Key and 1111, The Time Prompt Phenomenon. And if you want to find out more about them, go to their website, www.paraexplorers.com. Pretty simple, all one word, paraexplorers.com. Check it out. Moving right along now, it's time for BOA Audio Listener Feedback. And this week we got three emails. Actually, they're technically not emails. One of them is a tweet because I sort of culled the various places where people can reach me to try and hit on all the different zones of correspondence. So we'll start out with the longest email. It comes from Ross in Grand Rapids, Michigan. This was sent to me via the BOA Audio Hotmail account, and here's what Ross has to say. I've caught your show a few times in the past few years, but recently rediscovered it, and have been making my way through Season 5, which I've just finished. Nah, not so fast, Ross. We're not even done with Season 5. Huge props. The show is great. I must say I'm addicted. It makes my work day go by so much faster. My favorite episodes thus far have been the Jim Mars season premieres, Joshua Warren, and Jason Offutt. But every episode has been great. I found the show from links on thedailygrail.com, which is another great resource for esoteric everything. I do like how the show has a lo-fi feel to it. 
but I do have to say that it can be hard to hear your guest on tiny laptop speakers. Also, don't worry about dropping the occasional F-bomb. It gives the show more flavor. I think I'm going to start at Season 1 now from the beginning. Keep up the good work. Ross in Grand Rapids, Michigan. P.S. Just threw you 15 bones on the donation. Putting my money where my mouth is. Thank you so much for writing in, Ross. Thank you for the props on the program. And, of course, thank you for the donation. Your 15 bones definitely will help us out in a big way. As I corrected you in the email here, we're not nearly done with Season 5 yet. We've got about five to six more episodes left here in Season 5. We're very close to wrapping up the scheduling part of Season 5. I almost am certain on who all the final guests of the season will be, but we've got a couple more slots left to fill. But stay tuned, Ross, because Season 5 is nowhere near done just yet i got to also agree with you and tip my hat to the website, thedailygrail.com. Good friend of mine, Greg Taylor, runs that enterprise. Outstanding website. You can spend all day there exploring all the stuff they have. Folks, if you are not checking out TDG, you are seriously missing out. The Daily Grail is awesome, and I'm glad Ross found us via their website. TDG has been a huge help to BOA since the very beginnings of this program and website. Greg Taylor, as I said, a good friend. I can't thank him enough for all his support over the years. Regarding the lo-fi feel to the show, thank you for pointing that out. It is sort of our calling card here on the program, that raw sound that is BOA audio. I know totally what you mean about it sometimes being hard to hear the show on tiny laptop speakers. When I put the whole thing together, I'm listening on some really kick-ass surround sound speakers here on my computer, so I probably don't take into account all the folks who are trying to listen on their iPods or their laptops and stuff. So send me your feedback if you're listening on different forms of uh, receivers or whatever the hell you want to call it, and let me know if it doesn't work for you. I suggest grabbing a pair of headphones, Ross, plugging them into that laptop. You should be good to go from there, or just crank the sound up if you have to. Hopefully, it's not too much of a problem, but since you seem to have listened to so many episodes, I guess it isn't. Once again, thank you for writing in, Ross. You kick ass. Best of luck up there in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and thanks again, of course, for your donation. The next email, or should I say tweet, comes from Gregor in Toronto, Canada, also known on Twitter as at DJ Goober, at D-J-G-U-B-E-R, so at DJ Goober. And thankfully, since it's a tweet, it's short and sweet, and here's what he has to say. The Soviet ufology show was amazing. Thank you. That's all. Thank you, Gregor. Thank you for the tweet. Folks, go out and follow DJ Goober on Twitter. And thanks for the props on the Soviet Ufology Show. That was all Paul Stonehill. He brought the goods in a big way. It's not the last of our international ufology episodes, although I'm not sure if we're going to have any more here in Season 5. We're always looking for more international guests for the program. And, of course, we love the international listeners like you, DJ Goober, in Toronto. And finally, we got one more message. This one comes to me via Facebook. And it is from Daniel. No hometown listed. Here's what he has to say. Love the podcast. More JFK-related shows, please. Also, do you plan on having Jim Mars on to talk about his latest book? Thanks, Daniel. 
Thank you for writing in, Daniel. We should do more JFK-related shows. I think maybe, if anything, it's the oversaturation of JFK experts and avenues to discuss. Although, now that I'm thinking of it, there is a guest that I've sort of had in the on-deck circle that I've wanted to lock in for a while, who is JFK-related. So there's a good chance there may still be a JFK episode here in Season 5. Otherwise, stay tuned for Season 6. Speaking of which, I definitely plan on having Jim Mars on to talk about his latest book. I have already picked up the new book, The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy. I'm looking at it on my desk right now, and I can assure you, as long as Jim Mars says yes, and he's yet to turn us down over the last five years, Jim will be the season premiere guest for BOA Audio Season 6. And frighteningly enough, that really is right around the corner. I'm saying probably first or second week in November. So hopefully by then, Jim will have already done the interview rounds, and people will have asked him all the obvious questions, and then we can get them on. BOA Audio to kick off Season 6 and cover some of the uncharted territory of the Trillion Dollar Conspiracy. So stay tuned, Daniel. Definitely Jim Mars will be back on BOA Audio, and there's a good chance we'll be covering the JFK angle in the not-too-distant future. There you go. Those are the three correspondences from the BOA Audio listeners, Facebook, Twitter, and the BOA Audio at Hotmail.com. Address, thanks to Daniel, Gregor, and Ross for writing in. If you'd like to be a part of future editions of BOA Audio Listener Feedback, that's really simple. You just go to banalofamerica.com and click the contact button. That's the main way people seem to get in touch with me. But if you're already logged into your email, punch in boaaudio at hotmail.com. That'll get to me as well. And the other method we love to push here at the end of the program is the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. Fantastic group of folks there. Always some fun, enlightening, and entertaining conversations going on at the official BOA forum. It is our paranormal playground. Not only are there esoteric discussions, but there's also pop culture and sports conversations going on as well at the USofE.com. Once again, the URL for the official BOA forum is the USofE.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. And as DJ Goober knows, and as Daniel knows, I'm all over the various social networking sites so you can find me on Facebook, MySpace, and Twitter. Just punch in Benal, B-I-N-N-A-L-L. Befriend me, follow me, poke me. It's all good. Just do not send me chickens from your Farmville. I don't know how that thing got so popular, but it is kind of mind-blowing. But those are all the different ways to get in touch with me. If you make your correspondence pithy or particularly thought-provoking, we'll try and work it in here at the end of the program on BOA Audio Listener Feedback. And now it's time for the thanks portion of the program, allowing me to roll through the list of the outstanding and esteemed BOA staff. Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Rochelle Hawks, Richard Thomas, A.M. Murphy, Marla Pena, our contributing cartoonist Andy Carollin, and our webmaster Jeremy Boston. Since the last time you heard from me, Leslie weighed in with a new edition of Grey Matters, looking at the Roswell UFO Festival and the controversy that erupted in Roswell over the weekend there. 
between the dueling festivals. And Richard Thomas weighed in with an all-new Room 101 text interview with Steve Watson of InfoWars and Prison Planet fame. And by the time you are hearing this, we'll have posted an all-new Tina Senna's Esotericana, where she asks the thought-provoking question, Is the Grim Reaper an extraterrestrial? That's one you definitely want to check out. That's Tina Senna's Esotericana. It's become the end of the program mantra, but it is definitely the truth, my friends. If you're only listening to BOA Audio and you're not reading the columns at BenAllOfAmerica.com, then you're only getting half the story. BOA, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. After last week's desperate call for donations, a handful of folks stepped up to the plate and threw some change into the bucket. I want to thank them. I won't embarrass them by naming them here at the end of the program, but they know who they are, and I want to thank those folks. But I know a lot of folks are still either procrastinating on the fence or just haven't got around yet to donating to Benall of America, but we need your donations, folks. How can you help us out? How can you make a donation that's simple? There's two ways to do it. If you're into the online scene, you don't mind doing the PayPal, just go on over to Benall of America and click the PayPal button. It's right there on the front page. Beyond that, we also have a P.O. box for folks who want to make snail mail donations. Here is the address for that. Tim Benall, B-I-N-N-A-L-L, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass, 01866, and you spell Pinehurst, P-I-N-E-H-U-R-S-T. So, once again, the complete address is Tim Benall, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass, 01866. And as always, no donation is too small, and all donations go towards Benall of America and BOA Audio to help keep the website and the audio series up and running, freely available, and commercial-free for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. Next week on the program is an episode that I am really excited about unleashing onto the folks out there listening. Our guest will be Tony Kale, author of Santa Muerte, Mexico's Mysterious saint of death. Tony Kale has dug into this mysterious topic of Mexico's patron saint of death, and he's going to reveal a whole bunch of information to us on the program next week. We're going to also talk about his research into magico religious cultures in Africa and Latin America. We'll hear all about Santa Muerte down in Mexico, as well as the story of La Llorona, a famous Mexican folklore tale. We'll learn about Mexican folk saints like Lady of Guadalupe, Dr. Hernandez, and Jesus Malverde. We'll get into the drug culture of Mexico and how they've adopted Santa Muerte as their quasi-mascot, as well as sort of really their main religious figure. We'll hear about Africa's issues with witchcraft and the people that are just crazily and brutally persecuted after they've been accused of being a witch. Tony's working over there in Africa trying to help alleviate this very troubling situation. He'll tell us about his appearance on UFO Hunters, looking at cattle mutilations. We'll hear about voodoo, Santeria, the hoodoo culture of southern United States, and a whole bunch of other magico-religious topics, as well as an in-depth conversation on Santa Muerte, Mexico's mysterious saint of death. That's next week, Tony Kale on BOA Audio Season 5. 
And on that note, we wrap it up here for the week. Big, big thanks, of course, to Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman. Love talking to them. Can't wait till the next time we can sit down and chat. Also, thanks to Ross, Gregor, and Daniel for your contributions to BOA Audio Listener Feedback. And, of course, big, big, super huge thanks to all you great folks out there listening, the BOA Audio Listeners. I am quietly confident that we have gotten things back on track here as we head towards the close of Season 5. Hopefully you won't have to wait 10 days for each new episode any longer. And we've got some really killer stuff lined up to finish out the season. So stay tuned to Banal of America Audio for some truly awesome conversations as BOA Audio Season 5 comes to a close. And it's all possible thanks to you great folks out there who support the program. Thank you for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Banal, thanking you for listening and signing off.